What principles guide your user research or user testing、uh, processes or philosophy? My background. So far, has been primarily with startups, and so there is the sort of classic dilemma of limited resources and bandwidth, and, and the ability to do the amount of research that you want to do. So, I think naturally people sort of gravitate either intentionally or unintentionally into sort of a lean UX methodology, right? It just really depends on at which stage we are, and in early stage startups, I find that. Sometimes that testing happens pretty organically, and sometimes you just have to grab the people that you're working with, or sort of test things on the fly because the iterations happen rather quickly. From bringing museum exhibitions to life to founding an nonprofit arts organization, our guest today is no stranger to creative production and storytelling. With experience in visual design, branding, teaching, and podcasting. They bring a multidisciplinary background that shapes their approach to product design and user experience, and they've led remote teams, managed tight budgets and timelines, and aren't afraid to take an entrepreneurial leap when it comes down to making innovative ideas happen.、Uh, user research and audience engagement have been core to their work, and long before entering the world of product design, this is someone who knows. How to turn inspiration into realization, leveraging media space and technology to craft compelling narratives and experiences. I'm thrilled to welcome Michael Wisniewski to the show. As a product designer based in LA, he now helps brands discover their unique stories and bring engaging digital experiences to life. Michael, welcome to the Same Logic Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome! Perfect. Uh, so you have extensive arts background, spanning exhibitions, podcasts, a bunch of different things. How how did that help bring you into like product design, or how does it, that influence the way how you design user experiences? I realized at one point after many years in the arts that the way that I was working was very iterative. You know, there was a lot of sort of testing, and I I, I realized that there was a lot of overlap between that work and. What I was really passionate about was the problem-solving aspects of working in the arts, and so at some point, I wanted to make more of an impact and solve problems that had more of an impact, which is why I identified user experience design and product design as a space where I could use those skills and leverage them and make perhaps more of a difference, solving the right kinds of problems, which is also why I. Gravitated towards companies that are mission-driven and specifically climate companies, and so that's sort of where I、um, fell into doing this kind of work.、Mm. What do you enjoy most about the product design process? What do you think are the most rewarding parts? I mean, I think for me, the ideation phase of it is a lot of fun. I like. Learning. I'm a very curious person, and always have been. And so, that initial phase of trying to understand the problem is something that I think I really enjoy. And then coming up with, you know, brainstorming lots of different solutions and engaging with everyone that's involved in the process, trying to bring in all the stakeholders and working very collaboratively is something that I think is is really rewarding, especially when you know. 
you're brainstorming lots of ideas with people who aren't maybe researchers or designers themselves, but they bring a wealth of experience from, from the work that they do. And when you collaboratively can come up with solutions and angles to the problem that maybe you wouldn't have considered before, I think that's really exciting. What principles guide your user research or user testing uh, processes or philosophy? My background so far has been primarily with startups. And so there is the sort of classic dilemma of limited resources and bandwidth and, and the ability to do the amount of research that you want to do. So I think naturally people sort of gravitate either intentionally or unintentionally into sort of a lean UX methodology, right? It just really depends on at which stage we are. And in early stage startups, I find that Sometimes that testing happens pretty organically, and sometimes you just have to grab the people that you're working with or sort of test things on the fly because the iterations happen rather quickly, right? And, and where do you find creative inspiration? I mean, I think inspiration for me comes from a lot of different places. With my art background, I draw on that, obviously, and there might be certain certain art historical styles or references that that come to mind when I'm thinking about a particular design. But I also, you know, use lots of websites to sort of get a feel for maybe some of the best practices in a particular design space. So, you know, the I use the popular ones that I think a lot of us designers use. I use Mobin, which is great. Um, you know, sometimes I'll I'll go on Drupal, but I find that that's a little bit maybe less useful for um, coming up with solutions because the work that's on Drupal tends to be a little bit more surface and more polished. Um, and that's not always the reality with uh, trying to ship a product, right? What are some of, I would say, your favorite examples of, of great product design that you admire and what makes them stand out? The things that I really gravitate to maybe are also influenced by sort of a contemporary art context and and design sensibility and tend to lean towards a certain kind of minimalism. I often look at various things in print design, various art institutions that put out different types of books. And I think products that really embody that that sort of like more minimal and concise design aesthetic is uh, is something that I really gravitate towards. You know, I find that this is a little bit more common with uh, print products, but sometimes there's uh, reports uh, in a climate space that also embody that design sensibility a little bit. I'm struggling to remember the name of the particular report that I'm thinking of. But there's there's a really good one that that had that sort of look to it, right? That really focused on typography, really focused on being efficient in its design and and the type of elements that they use, so that uh, they also think of the carbon footprint of the actual digital product. And I also use some calculators, online calculators, to determine the digital uh, or the carbon footprint of a particular web page or a screen. Um, and I think that's that can be really helpful because everything that we put out on the internet or on an app has a certain carbon footprint. And the more intensive it is, the more of a carbon footprint that has. So I think if you're working in the climate space, sustainable UX is something that you need to consider as well. 
What are some of the biggest uh, challenges you've faced in product design? If you could, if you could share as well, like how you overcame those challenges. Working in a climate and climate companies, it's a very nascent industry, right? It's uh, there's a lot of uncharted territory. It's tricky, especially you know I've I've worked with a startup that is in the carbon removal space, for instance, and that is a very challenging space to be in because the the product or the the service that the customer is buying is not visible. So you're sort of selling an idea, right? And that creates a unique problem because you're trying to balance essentially how much do you educate the customer about what it is that they're getting versus you know how concise and effectively you can deliver that message because ultimately as we know and many i think ux writers will tell you people don't read right <laughs> and you know if if you're working in the climate space the scientists in the room, they want to just put out a whole research paper out there so that people will know like all of the particulars of what it is that that the company is doing and that they're getting. But, you know, nobody wants to read that. Right. So how do you deliver that message in an effective way is is always that uh, a problem that I think I struggle with. And it's something that I think the whole industry struggles with as well. And I don't know that it's necessarily been solved entirely. I think that's that's an ongoing process and will continue to be for a while as the climate industry grows as a whole. But I found that a good way to sort of get past the, some of those barriers for users is to make that more engaging. And I, and I think that we can do that through visual design. We can do that by use of illustrations in particular and and the process that i like to use i really enjoy concept mapping again going back to the idea of like you know thriving in that ideation phase um i like to concept map to get a more holistic picture of where the product is and the whole space that the business occupies as well as maybe like even broader potentially the industry and then take those concept maps and then translate them into some sort of visual representation. So that could be data visualization, or that could be an illustration that demonstrates how that process works in a really quick sort of digestible format, right? So that the user gets a sense of what it is that they're getting and how that got to them, you know, and, and the sort of the life cycle of that product that they're, and at which point that they're jumping into it and the experience. If, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self when you're starting out in the arts? The arts industry is a, is a very challenging one to be in, which is part of why I've, I've had a very varied career within it, just because I think that's sort of the nature of the arts is that there isn't a very clear trajectory, right? Um, compared to other, other industries, perhaps. And so the advice that I would give myself, I think, is to try to map out what that trajectory would be, try to think about some kind of roadmap. And sort of this is sort of like a classic uh, arts versus other career, I feel like, dilemma. But the arts education that we have, you know, that we and have had for decades doesn't necessarily prepare you for entering a job market that's sustainable 
and the arts industry as a whole has become in many ways less sustainable for people entering it. And so I think growing and and developing skills that complement that arts education that can allow you to thrive within perhaps an adjacent career or one that kind of can marry your experience in the arts with something else, I think that is going to set you up for more success. And that's that's what I would tell myself. Where do you see the field of product design heading in uh, the next five or 10 years? And how do you think the various roles in product design will evolve over the next uh, few years as well? I try not to prognosticate too much because I <laughs> find that that's... Um, you know, that there's a certain amount of futility in that. And what I would say is, especially within the last few years, we've seen the world change in such drastic ways that trying to predict that that future, I think, is maybe impossible. I think we can look at trends and uh, certainly uh, AI is a hot topic right now. And everybody's thinking about and, and wondering how that's going to influence not just design, but every industry. Um, you know, I don't necessarily subscribe to a pessimistic view of how that's going to shake out. I do think that there is the potential for AI to be the co-pilot that, you know, many of us are talking about and, and helping us to, um, understand that digest information perhaps in a, in a more effective way, especially if you have to go through and comb through a lot of data. AI can be helpful with that. But what I don't see changing is that I don't see AI being able to become a substitute for a connection with the user. Like I don't see AI being able to connect with the user on a deep fundamental level and to empathize with their situation and, and where they are in their life. And I, so I think that is something that that is going to remain consistent is the that we can use AI for a lot of other tasks, but it's not going to be, become a replacement for us talking to a person to really understand their challenges and their unique pain points. In some ways, I think the industry is, is going to clearly adapt to the ch changes in technology, but I think a lot of things will remain the same on that human personal level. If you could distill uh, your career learnings into one key piece of advice for um, aspiring product designers, what would it be? Trying to distill anything into one thing is is a is a big challenge. I think that overall it helps if we can take ourselves a little bit less seriously, you know, because there's there's so much weight attached to our careers and the stakes can feel very high, especially in a situation where your livelihood really depends on these things. And in the current job market where things are really challenging for not just designers, but people seeking jobs in a lot of industries. But if we only focus on those challenges and, and sort of become in or get into the, the danger of spiraling into the, the negative mindset, that's not going to serve us. And of course, this is easier said than done. But I think the more that we can inject some levity into the process and treat the process and treat all of the things that we have to create and do in order to succeed with... Uh, with a little bit less seriousness, I think that overall is going to impact our well-being. Uh, but I think it's also going to impact the relationships and how those evolve 
and uh, and how we build them in our careers. And the more that we can come to other people with positivity, the more successful I think that we can become in the long term. And again, easier said than done, right? Like we we have a lot of challenges in in the current sociopolitical and economic climate. But I think that's something that um, is important to remember. And it's something that I, you know, have to remind myself constantly of as well. I love that answer. Um, This is my last question here. And I ask everyone who comes on the podcast this this one question. Um, And the question is, what's one weakness that you've turned into your strength? I love this question. Um, I've been thinking about that, actually. And I come from from Poland originally. And we were... were, (laughs) And we were refugees and asylum seekers coming out of communist Poland in the 80s, fleeing the political situation, but we were also fleeing domestic violence. And so that that trauma in my formative years, you know, turned into uh, a certain level of hypervigilance. And over time, you know, I've done a lot of work on that. And that has in turn become my ability to to empathize very fundamentally with people as well as, you know, giving me a great attention to detail. It's not something that I think you can just simply cure and you're done with it, right? It's something that you continue to deal with and manage in different ways throughout your life. But it ha- it is something that has made me very sensitive to people from a very diverse set of backgrounds. I love that. Michael, thanks for joining us today on the Same Logic podcast. Where can our listeners find you if they'd love to connect? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm relatively active on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. Yeah, that's probably the best place. My other personal social media is, you know, less active. So, so LinkedIn is the place that I enjoy connecting with people, especially when it comes to career and design. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, thanks for listening to the same logic podcast to stay in touch please follow us on linkedin or the podcast app you're listening to this on right now for more episodes i'm Dwayne samuels take care